Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. As we're closing out kind of this series, as we're walking through the writings of Luke, we've been taking different themes and kind of tracing them through the Gospel of Luke and through the book of Acts as well. Those are two of the books that Luke wrote in the New Testament. And we've been going through a series called Women in the Writings of Luke. And this is the last Sunday that we have in that series. And I want to really just step in to maybe a tender subject, a, a difficult subject, okay? So, ladies, I want to address you just right up front. Women, I want to address you, and, and I'm going to ask you a question, and there may be some uh, history uh, that this brings up in you, and so I want to honor, I want to honor that, the sensitivity to that. Uh, I'm going to ask a question, but please do not vocally respond, um, because you will shame the men in the room, including me, okay? So, so just between... Just between you and Jesus, okay? Can you answer this just between you and Jesus? But I, I am serious here. I, I just want, I want to ask you the question. Have you ever felt undervalued, underappreciated, or underutilized in the church? Now, again, please don't answer. You'd, you'd shame us, right? Uh, and I hate to think that maybe, right? I know I'm a very optimistic person, but... I know that the, the answer to that question is probably yes. And, and, I, and I, that hurts me to think that that's true, that you felt underutilized, underappreciated, and undervalued. I just want you to know, as one of the leaders here at Sunrise Church, we don't want that to be true here. And if it has been that way or if you've had that experience, I apologize. As kind of the, the leader of the leaders, I'll own that and I'll, I'll apologize for that, we do not want this to be a space where you feel undervalued, underappreciated, or underutilized. I believe there are no secondary recipients of the Spirit of God. That God, yes, has created men and women different, but that difference doesn't mean that one lacks dignity. There is no difference in dignity. The same blood that was shed on the cross for me was shed on the cross for you, and the same Spirit empowers you to do ministry that empowers me to do the ministry that I do. Ladies, you are called, you are loved, and you are valued by God. You know, and as I was kind of putting this message together and really reflecting on these passages, I felt like 
the Lord really brought to my mind how I personally have underappreciated the contribution that women of faith have made in my life. And what happened was as I was walking through this, I, I just kind of stopped and I thought for a moment and just reflected for a moment that often when I tell about my faith journey or I tell my, sometimes we call it testimony, when I tell my story about how God has changed my life, majority of the time I talk about the men of faith in my life who made a significant contribution. But then I kind of reflected on, but yeah, when I tell my story and I tell the journey that God has brought me on, seldom do I mention the contributions that women of faith have made in my life. And that made me really sad. And that convicted me. And I feel like the Lord brought up one lady in particular who was in my home church in Ventura, California, where I was at in high school and and junior high, and, and this woman, she was a single mom, had three kids of her own. I think at the time that, that this story takes place, I think she had two jobs, full-time job and a part-time job, and was going to school. And she took me in when I was in high school because I was kicked out of my home my senior year of high school. And when I couldn't go home, she opened up her home. And she already had three kids, just trying to make ends meet and provide. And then she took on me. And you think I'm, I'm hard to handle now as an adult? Oh my gosh. Like the spirit of God had to move in her. But you know what? I, I look back at that and I thought to myself, you know what? I did not appreciate her as much as I should have. I didn't show enough gratitude to her, enough thankfulness to her when I was in high school. And that made me sad. I have underappreciated the contribution that women have made in my life. But ladies, I want you to know that's not how your God operates. That God appreciates you. He has equipped you. And he has called you. And empowered you with the Holy Spirit to do great and fantastic things. And so we're going to take a little bit of a different journey today. We're going to go to a passage that seems like minor, minuscule, just a, 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 a traveling detail in the book of Acts. And I want to show you how this detail is so incredibly significant to the movement of God and the empowerment of women to do ministry. And we're going to kind of go to the Old Testament too to see just how profound that moment is. And then ladies, I want to call you to consider that God is moving in you for the season that you're in, and has a high calling for you. So we're going to take a little bit of a different journey, but here's what I think we're going to get. Here's the main idea I think we're going to get. This is the big idea for today. So if you're going to write down one thing, I want you to write this down. If you're going to tweet one thing from the service, this is what I want you to tweet. Ministry is co-ed. Ministry is co-ed. There are no secondary recipients of the Holy Spirit. God is moving in men and women, young and old, no matter our age, our gender, our socioeconomic status, the Spirit of God has been poured out on all of us, and He has empowered all of us to live out our calling. Calling is not for the few. Calling is not for the people on the stage. Calling is for every single follower of Jesus Christ. And you're going to see that ministry is co-ed this morning. Let me show you this. Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. We're going to start with verse 8. 
Now Luke, we're in the writings of Luke. Luke is writing the, the book of Acts. And Luke right now is kind of the, the traveling companion of Paul. Paul was like the primary church planter in the first century world. He's one of the most well-documented ancient characters that we know of in history. Him and Jesus Christ are the two most famous and well-documented characters of the ancient world. It's pretty remarkable how much information we have about Jesus Christ and Paul. And what we know of Paul is that Paul was a mover and a shaker. I mean, he was extending the gospel, the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. He was moving that and pushing the borders to new places. And Luke happens to be a traveling companion of Paul. So a lot of the book of Acts is really following some of the apostles, but really majority of the work is following this guy named Paul. And he documents different journeys and different events. He doesn't get all of it, but he gives us different moments. And as he gives those moments, there, there, there are minor details of the travels that he has. And one of those minor details we're going to get to today, right now, and I want to make the case to you that this is not a meaningless detail. It may be minor, but is wildly significant and should stop us in our tracks and say, wait a second, what does this mean? Let me show you this. Acts chapter 21, verse Eight. You can tell these are traveling details. On the next day, we departed and we came up to Caesarea and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now let's just stop here in verse 8. What's happening? So they're traveling around they get to this guy named Philip. Now Philip is a known character to us already in the book of Acts. Philip was, says, one of the seven. This is one of the guys who was entrusted with a, a ministry need that came up. In the first century world, what happened is there were widows in this kind of new growing movement called Christianity. And they were being neglected. They were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. So the New Testament church was about feeding the poor, helping the poor. Not every person, but those in significant need, yes. The church was charitable at its birth. But there were some Greek-speaking widows who weren't being attended to. Maybe there was a language barrier. We don't know. We don't know what happened. But the apostles said, we need some good guys who can distribute food. So they found Philip. And they said, Philip, we need you to do this. And Philip did that work and he did it well. And Philip actually did more than that. Not only was Philip good at giving out food, right? Not only did he own like a food truck, right? I'm trying to make this very Portland for us, right? For us to understand, right? Move the first century and the 21st century. So he had a great food truck and he's helping out these poor widows. But he also is a dynamic proclaimer of the gospel he goes to the Samaritans and he sees great work there so now he's like this cross-cultural missionary and then he also has this awesome encounter with an Ethiopian eunuch and he shares the gospel with him so we see Philip's a dynamic guy he's not only serving people but he's spreading the gospel across different cultural boundaries well this dynamic spiritualness to Philip apparently skipped not skipped but was passed on to his children. Look at this next detail in verse 9. This is where we see something significant, even though it's small. Major, even though it's treated somewhat minor. While we were staying for many days, or sorry, verse 9, not verse 10. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now let's stop here. The story is going to turn. And then what's going to happen is Luke is going to describe a prophet by the name of Agabus. And he's going to detail Agabus's prophecy. 
But he happens to mention this small little detail here. Philip, this dynamic guy, we know him, one of the seven, a preacher to the Samaritans, a preacher to an Ethiopian eunuch. He had four unmarried daughters and they prophesied. Now the reason why I think at times we could just kind of walk by this detail, maybe reading the scriptures too quickly, which I think is a practice we often do. We just read them too fast. This book I think should be slowly kind of marinating in your mind. But this detail right here of they prophesied, it's very, very interesting. Luke, why would you mention that? Why do you make note of that? Because we're actually not given any of their prophecies. In fact, he'll move on pretty quickly to the prophet Agabus and he would expand his prophecy out. But why would Luke mention this? Well, this is a habit, a pattern of Luke. In fact, if we go to the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 2, we see another man giving a pretty significant prophetic kind of section of his narrative. His name is Simeon. When Jesus is brought to the temple as an infant, Simeon prophesies over him. And we get, we get a big section. But then Luke has this pattern again. He mentions, well, there was another prophet, a woman named Anna. And he gives her a little detail. Luke has this habit of when he speaks about the spirit moving in prophecy, he mentions not just men, but also women. Why would he do that? I think Luke is making a point here. I think Luke is saying men and women are empowered by the spirit. And we really have to have a very, very high view of what that word means prophesied what does that mean what are they doing is that significant I think what we've done in the 21st century American church maybe in the 21st century global church is we've really diminished what that word means we've said stuff like this well I feel like God is leading me to do this that's not prophecy that's not prophecy I would call that like a divine impression Philippians 2 says that God works in us to will and to act according to his great purpose. So is God moving on your desires? Absolutely. Is that prophecy? No. Paul says in Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When those things rise up in you, is that prophecy? No. That is the Spirit moving. So if you feel led to give, maybe you see somebody in need and you say, man, charity is growing in me. I feel like I should do something. That's great. That's a movement of God. Yes. Is that prophecy? No. Prophecy in Jewish circles was very, very, very much higher. A prophet would not say, I feel like this. Maybe God is leading me in this direction. No, 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 no. That's not prophecy. Prophecy starts this way. Thus says the Lord. Meaning, these are the very words of God. They're not my words. I'm just the microphone. But God is speaking through me. Now that's a whole nother degree. That's a whole nother level than I feel like God's moving in my heart to do this. Or when I'm praying and I'm thinking I feel led by God to do this. Those, those are different things. They're different things. That's not what happened to these girls. No, they're doing something else. They are saying God said this, which was a very dangerous and risky thing to do in Jewish circles. Let's go back to the Old Testament. I want to show you this because there is a significantly low margin of error for a prophet. Let me show you this in Deuteronomy chapter 18. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, so in your Bible that's the second 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. No, I'm wrong. It's not the second. It's the fourth. It's in your Bible, and it's in the table of contents, okay? Jeez Louise. Okay. Uh, look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Just so we get a feel of what, what these ladies are doing and how serious this is. Because in Jewish circles, prophecy was, again, not impressions, not feelings. No, 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 no. The very words of God. And it was a risky endeavor to do. You were taking your life, really, into your own hands. This is Deuteronomy chapter 18. Listen to this, verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded to him or speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall, what does it say? Die. Die. What does that mean? To be dead. That's what that means. Think about that for a moment. Imagine you're being interviewed. We have a job opening in the New Testament church. Oh, okay, what are your qualifications? Well, based off these assessments, I feel like I'm a prophet. Oh, good, okay. So here are your key objectives, right? Here's your quarterly evaluation. You will speak on behalf of the Lord himself. And if you ever get it wrong, you're dead. Sir, I would like to decline my application for, uh, I mean, this is a significant task that they're, they're being called to here. There is zero margin for error. There's no, well, I got 95 of my prophecies right. Oh, well, then you're 100% dead. That's what's being said here. So this, again, it's not an impression. It's not a feeling. It is a word delivered supernaturally with such clarity and such certainty that the one who delivers it will risk their lives over its authenticity. I'm not raising my hand to be a prophet. I'm like, well, I had a carne asada burrito last night. <laughs> Maybe that's what's going on. No, 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 no. I'm not risking this. This is what Philip's daughters are doing. Speaking the very words of God. And not this sense, because there's another part that we can, we've got to really tease out here. Is that prophecy wasn't those like vague predictions of what the future would happen. Right? Kind of like a fortune cookie. You open it up, you're going to have a friend. You're not going to believe this, Pastor Paul. I made a friend the day after I got that. What? No, no, that's not prophecy. In fact, Luke records prophecies in the book of Acts, and mostly it's the Apostle Paul and the prophet Agabus, the one I just mentioned in Acts chapter 21. And they have very specific prophecies about the future that you could tell if they failed or they didn't. So there weren't these kind of vague ideas of like, you might see a blue car in four months. Wow, incredible. No, 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 no. It was very specific. It was falsifiable. It was easy to say, nope, you were wrong. And we see in the New Testament church, the spirit poured out on these girls. And they speak the very words of God, putting their lives at risk. That's dynamic. That's dynamic. God does not undervalue, underappreciate, and surely does not underutilize. Because these girls, these four girls, are speaking the very words of God. They're not preaching. They're prophesying. That's a whole other thing. Well, this kind of inclusive empowerment of the Spirit was something that was thought of thousands of years before Philip's daughter's ever prophesied. Let me show you this. In Numbers chapter 11, don't ask me what book that is. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers 
the fourth one. Deuteronomy was the fifth one. Okay, I got it. I'm qualified to preach now. Numbers chapter 11. I want you to see this because in Numbers chapter 11, we get an interesting scenario. We have Moses, this great leader, dynamic leader. He led the people out of their Egyptian slavery. And he's bringing them to the promised land, the land of Canaan. It's been promised to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a pretty dynamic leader. And at the time, these are kind of estimations, but at the time, we believe he is leading approximately 2 million people on this journey. Okay, I can hardly carpool with my four kids. And he's 2 million people on a journey. Oh my goodness, what does that look like? So he's worn out. And in Numbers chapter 11, he gets to the point like, I'm so tired. This is what he says to God. Either you help me or kill me. I mean, that's a tough Sunrise Church, I've led you for a year, and I want you to know, I haven't prayed that prayer yet, okay? It's probably coming year three, where I'm just going to be like, God, help me, or I'm done. Like, but he has this really just struggle moment. He's very honest, and the Lord says, all right, Moses, I got your back. That's my direct translation of the Hebrew. I got your back. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to get 70 guys, and I want you to bring them to the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting was the place where God in a special way manifest his presence to the people. So he said, you bring them there. And what will happen is I will, I will pour out a portion of the spirit that I put on you, I will put on them. And that will help kind of bear the burden of responsibility. So they get everything together. They give all the announcements out at all the services, right? And, and not everybody shows up, right? Welcome to church life. Some people still just view online, apparently. Because 68 come to the temple, or come to the to tent of meeting. Two of them, they're watching the service online. Okay? But then the Spirit of God falls. And guess who gets it? Both groups. Not even those who just were in the meeting, not just the 68, but also the Spirit of God falls on the two that are in the camp. So if you're watching with us online, hey, God's still going to use this, right? That's my application from that. The idea is the Spirit falls here and over there. And then Joshua, who's kind of like the intern of Moses, says, Moses, ah, oh, these guys didn't make the meeting. Clearly, they're not on the roll. You got to stop them. Look what Moses says. Total different perspective than Joshua. This is Numbers chapter 11, verse 28. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Big deal they didn't come. Big deal they didn't come to the meeting that I called. Big deal. Look at him, look at him then express would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. I just love the humility here. Right? Moses is like, God, I'm so burdened. Two million people. This is hard. I need your help. And God says, I got you. 70 people. Boom. Now they have the spirit poured out on them to help you lift this burden. And Moses is like, man, this burden's so big. What if God did more than 70? What if he did all 2 million people? Oh, that would be great. Moses is not trying to be a rock star. Right? Spirit of God's only on me. I'm the called. I'm the gifted. Get out of my way. No, he knows the work's way too big. And even when 70 guys, new employees, come in for orientation, he's still like, oh, what it would it be like if God would pour out his spirit on everybody and everybody was a prophet? Wouldn't that be great? Hundreds of years after kind of that desire, that wish, I'm going to call it even a prayer of Moses. 
that desire grows, and then it becomes a promise of God in Joel chapter 2. Now, don't ask me what book of the Bible that one is. It's a lot, okay? Under 66, I know that. Listen to this in Joel chapter 2, because this dream grows. So hundreds of years after Moses and hundreds of years before Philip and his daughters, God decides to make a promise. He's going to answer, really, the request of Moses, that the Spirit would fall not just on 70, but on everybody. Look at this, Joel chapter 2, verse 28. The people of God have just experienced a plague of locusts, which I think are just mean grasshoppers. I'm not certain... That's not my field of study. But these mean grasshoppers have come in, destroyed the crops. The prophet has said, this is a curse on you for your sin. They've repented of their sin. God says, I'm restoring your fortunes. I'm going to pour out rain, give you a new season. And then he says, in fact, on top of that, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not just going to pour out new rain. I'm going to pour out something else. Look at verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on what? All flesh. Is that not what Moses wanted? Is that not what he hungered for? When he looked at the sea of people he was trying to lead, he's like, man, we all need the Spirit. Not just me, not just anybody, but everybody. Then hundreds of years later, this is the promise God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Isn't that interesting? Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. This is an unprecedented promise. I mean this right here is is earth shattering. To the whole paradigm and rhythm that the Jewish people have been used to from, from the beginning to this time. God pouring out his spirit. What does he say? On sons and daughters. So no matter the gender, God's pouring out his spirit. No matter the age, he says, old men, young men, wherever you're at, I'm pouring out my spirit. And then he says, no, not even in, in, in with considering your socioeconomic status. The slaves get it too. What? He's saying everybody. There is no more strata. There is no more boundaries that mark off what God is doing. This is so unfamiliar to the Jewish people at the time. Because, yeah, did God's spirit come upon people? And that's the normal kind of vernacular in the Old Testament. The spirit came upon them. But it only came upon a few people. Like a narrow group of people. Prophets, priests, kings. Only a few people. And even of those few people, it was usually only for a season. There was a special work that God would have them do. So he took a special person and said, for a special time, I'm, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you for this work. But that spirit wasn't permanent on them. And it was only for few. And then God comes through with this promise and says, I'm going to pour it out on everybody. Everybody's going to get it. Hundreds of years later, over a thousand years after Moses' prayer, hundreds of years after Joel's promise, a day comes. The birth of the New Testament church. Acts chapter 2. The spirit falls. There's 120 people. In this upper room, closest followers of Jesus Christ. Ten years after, or sorry, ten years, ten days after his ascension. He told them, stay in Jerusalem, wait, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something great. You wait here for ten days. And they waited for ten days. 
50 years after his resurrection, 50 years, 50 days after his resurrection, 10 days after his ascension, and then the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish festival of harvest. So you got all these pilgrims who are coming from far off lands, Jews that weren't in the city of Jerusalem. They're coming to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate a harvest. And God is about to do a new harvest and a new work. And so these 120 are gathered and all of a sudden the spirit falls out on all 120. And they've got all these bystanders that are looking like, what is going on here? This is unfamiliar because what are they used to? Their Jewish paradigm is what? Certain people for a season. But now we see 120 people and they're speaking words that sound like our home dialect. That all these pilgrims from all these far off places are coming from different regions. And each one is saying, hey, I hear what he's saying, but I hear it in my dialect. Wait, wait, you hear it in your language too? Wait, wait, you hear it in your language too? What is going on? Look at the explanation that Peter has to give to this crazy phenomenon that is happening. It just shows us how unfamiliar this move was. How unexpected this move was. Because look at what he has to explain to them. Peter explains the day of Pentecost this way. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing with eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judah, or Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk. Isn't that weird? Can you imagine like a guest coming into sunrise and like coming in like, hey, I'm Pastor Paul. Oh, nice to meet you, Sarah. It's, I'm glad you're here. And then like maybe we're sitting next to each other and, and Sarah's like, oh, this is my husband, Keith. And it's our first time here. Oh, that's great. I'm, enjoy the worship time. And then people just start. They're into it. They're excited. And they're like, what is going on? And I say to them, oh, don't worry, don't worry. They're not drunk. They're like, yeah, we're going to be guests at another church, right? But look at this other weird line that comes out. I just love, I don't there's part of me is like, I wish I could go back in a time machine and just hear that. Because I'm really curious. He says, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. <laughs> right? This is Paul. Like, I, it's like, my mouth gets me in trouble. You're like, surprised. I'm the guy asking the question. Hey, um, so if it was the sixth hour, would it, would it be appropriate then? I'm just curious, Peter. You, you, you qualify that statement a little oddly. But what is he trying to explain to them? They're seeing something that's unprecedented. They don't understand how the Spirit of God is moving like this. You tell me everybody's getting this thing now? All 120? And look at the passage he quotes. He says, guys, this is what we've been waiting for. Over a thousand years ago, Moses prayed for this. Wanted this, at least. Hoped for this. Hundreds of years ago, the prophet Joel promised this. This is what's happening. Right now. Look at what he says. Verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on the male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Wow. What does Peter say? Here's the moment. It's right here. We're witnessing it before his eyes. In this moment, right here, started a spirit-empowered movement that hasn't died for over 2,000 years almost. 
And we see what happened with Philip's daughters was because of that moment, because of Pentecost. Everybody got it. And who did they get it from? God poured out the Spirit upon them. Now let me nerd out a little bit because there's part of this that I just feel is really intriguing. I didn't put it on the slides, but look at this. Look at this. Verse 33 is very interesting for Peter to deliver. Just listen to this. He says, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, he's talking about Jesus, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Wait a second here. Who's pouring out the Spirit? The Father is and the Son is. What does that say about Jesus? Does that not? God was the one who was said to pour out the Spirit. And now we see what? Jesus is the one pouring out the Spirit. This is another indicator that Jesus is God. And he is pouring out his Spirit on everybody. Jesus does not undervalue, underappreciate, or underutilize women. He empowers them. The whole movement and trajectory of the promise of the Spirit, the aching for the Spirit, that whole trajectory has now expanded and exploded into the heart of every single follower of Jesus Christ. That every believer gets the Spirit and is empowered to do good works. And that Spirit is permanently a resident of you. It's not a seasonal thing. God, the Spirit of God left the temple at times before it was destroyed. But you are the temple of God and His Spirit resides within you and it won't leave you. Can you grieve it? Yes. But can you get rid of it? No. He is a permanent resident in here and He's empowered you to do good works. Ladies, I hope you hear. I hope you hear and I hope you feel the momentum and the current of the Spirit of God in this book right here. That you are overtaken by that movement to say, I am empowered. I am called. The called are not just Paul. I'm called. So I started the sermon or the message with a question. I'm going to end it with a question. Ladies, this week, I want you to ask yourself this question. What is my calling? You don't get to ask this question. Am I called? Well, go ahead. You can ask that. I'm going to answer it. Yes. Checkbox. <laughs> Got one out of the way. What is my calling? Now, you know, I know you're like, well, thanks, Pastor. Cool. And it's like, you just gave me like an 18-sided Rubik's Cube. Here, solve this problem. Right? I know, I know that's a large question, it's a hard question, but here, we got to make sure, we got to make sure that we don't try to parse this out in an incorrect way, okay? When you ask that question, what is my calling? You don't need a prophetic word to tell you your calling. In fact, when we look at the, the movement of God in the book of Acts, that's not how the people of God operated. They didn't wait for like a billboard to show up and be like, Susan, move to Gresham to spread the gospel. What? I'm Susan, Right? You don't need that. You don't need that. We don't see that kind of movement. We don't. We see people desiring things that are godly and then they're moving. That's what we see. Now, does God show up sometimes and do the billboard thing? Susan, move to Gresham and spread the gospel. Yes, could God do that? Yes, but don't wait for that. Don't wait for that. Why? Because you're called now. You're empowered now. Don't wait. You don't need a green light. Go 
Maybe God will give you a green arrow, but if he doesn't, just keep going. Keep going. In fact, I want to give you just kind of a helpful, helpful formula. As you try to really process through that question, what is my calling? Here's a really helpful formula. Psalms 37, 4 says this. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Here's a good place to start. Just ask yourself this question. When I delight in the Lord, what are the desires of my heart? Often we'll phrase it like this for people. Because I will say of the, how many years of ministry? 18, 19 years of ministry I've done. I'd say top three questions are, what's God's call for my life? Or what's God's plan for my life? This is where I like to bring people back to. Delight yourself in the Lord. When you are at your godliest moment, when you are defeating sin, you have victory over temptation, you are praying, you're reading his word. In those moments, when you are delighting in God the most, what desires grow in you? That's the leading of the Holy Spirit. So when you delight yourself in the Lord, what grows in you? What desires grow in you? And then take those desires and test them with the scriptures. That's a very important step because here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to say, well, I'm delighting myself in the Lord and the desire of my heart is to leave my husband and go fall in love with another man. Ugh. No, you didn't do this part, right? All right, like, delight yourself in the Lord. Oh, man, and when, I, when I'm delighting in God, I just see that Tesla on the lot and I want to steal it. No, you didn't, you didn't, thou shalt not steal, especially a Tesla, come on. This just sounds like, never mind. Tesla sounds like somebody just ran a lot, you know? You ever notice, like, <sighs> like it always creeps me out. I feel like somebody's breathing heavily behind me. I'm like, close your mouth. Oh, it's a Tesla. <sighs> it just bugs me. It's like a pet peeve of mine. If you own a Tesla, God bless you. Just don't park near me. <sighs> Anyways, like you got to, I don't know why that was important to share with you, but it, it was, okay? Delight yourself in the Lord. And he'll give you the, what grows in you. What grows in you. Test it with the scriptures. And then bring it to friends, godly friends. And say, hey, here's what I think God's growing in me. I think God wants me to foster to adopt. Because when I'm delighting in the Lord, that's what keeps growing in me. What do you think about that? Search that with the scripture. Yeah, you're going to get a green line on that one. Ask your friends. Hey, I think that is wise. We, this, 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 this. Okay, Go. Go. What's the worst that can happen? You fail in doing something good? That sounds like a good idea to me. Oh, you tried something great and you didn't make it? Great. Failure is not the problem. Apathy is. Not moving. That's the problem. Move. Risk. The New Testament is filled with failures. Look at how many letters Paul has to write to churches that are failing. But he went for it. He went. He followed the leading of God and he did some really crazy things. Did they all work out perfectly? No. Some of them are a mess. That's why you have a Bible. Ladies, ask yourself this question. What is my calling? Not am I called. I am called. What is my calling? Search the scriptures. Ask friends. And then just jump, man. We need you. Husbands, brothers, sons even. Ask the women around you, how are you called? How are you called? Pray with them. Support them. Search the scriptures with them. And then just invest in it. And let them go. Let them do it. Why not? 
we're going to do something slightly bit different. You know, you see oftentimes we'll have people on stage and we'll commission them, missionaries and church planners. You've seen that, uh, at least in my time here, we've, we've done that. I know we've done that in the past too. Well, I can't get every woman on the stage. Uh, so we're going to do it a slightly bit differently. And so, ladies, I'm going to ask you to do something. Ladies, I'm going to ask you if you would, would you stand up if you're able? We want to pray a commissioning blessing over you. So, ladies, if you are able... I want you to stand. Very nice. Thank you so much. So guys, this is what I'd ask you to do. Okay, you, you stay seated. Don't confuse the Holy Spirit. <laughs> what I want you to do is I want you just to extend your hand towards uh, one of the women that are standing up. Okay, I'm going to pray a blessing over them, a commissioning blessing over them. And ladies, one, one more ask. I know you're like, Pastor, you're out of them. You've asked me too many questions. Here's my last one. If, as you're standing, would you just open up your hands like this, just as, as if you're going to receive something. It's just a posture that reflects the posture of our heart. That's all it is, a physical posture that reflects the posture of our heart. Okay, I want to pray, pray a commissioning blessing over you. Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. May all of these ladies in the room that are standing with their arms out. May they hear your voice, Lord, in a personal, passionate way. Father, I pray that they feel called because they are called. Father, you appreciate them. You value them. Christ, you died for them. Holy Spirit, you've empowered them. You are moving through them. Would you guide them? Would you honor their commitment to serve you and to love you Holy Spirit, we know that you're already moving. You're already a resident in their heart. Would you be the loudest voice in their heart? Not the voice of society, not the, the voice of, 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 of negative people around them. Father, may nobody around them tell them, you're on the shelf, you stay over there. No, 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 no. Father, I pray that you would, you would speak to them in a very specific way and in a loud way. You'd be the overwhelming voice of their life. That they would know that they are valued, appreciated, and they are pushed out into the movement of God to stretch the boundaries of your kingdom blessing on this planet. Father, I pray that you give us just hungry women who desire to do the will of their heavenly Father. And that you would just impact so many homes, so many workplaces, so many relationships with all these ladies who are standing right here. Father, I thank you for the women in my life who've poured into me. And I'm sorry that I haven't appreciated them. Father, help us to turn the corner on that and appreciate those who've been given to us for this season. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.